Yeah, I think it's on. Now it's working. Great. I'll tell you what, there's nothing deader than listening to yourself up here and you can't hear nothing out there. But it's working now. We're very thankful for that. What a wonderful opportunity to be able to hear those kids sing. I don't know what it is. Maybe as we get older, as a dad, I, I don't know. But to hear these little voices and little hearts singing these truths is just, uh, well, it's moving. I'll just say that. Very thankful for all of you being here with us this morning. You can turn to Luke chapter 2 if you would. As we get going, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2. And very thankful for Darren reading uh, Mary's comments there at the beginning of the chapter. But we're going to be uh, looking at a little farther at the angels and their proclamation this morning. Uh, before we do, I just do want to remind you with all the different cancellations, that sounds like such a bad word, but schedule shifts in this season, uh, just to remember that Joan Schmitz is in the chapel this morning, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of her sharing that missionary update there. And of course, Pastor Jim uh, in my class and in the equip class, room 116, uh, dealing with sufficiency of scripture in counseling. Uh, and we're not going to talk about what's going on in Bill's class because we want you to go to the rest of them, and we're going to leave it at that. So maybe I shouldn't have said that. But we're very grateful for, for each of you being here and such a special reminder. What a wonderful season. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. It's been my favorite season since I was a young one, and I'm very grateful and thankful uh, to be able to celebrate every year. I would be happy, maybe this isn't you, uh, to have the tree up until, you know, March, February. I hate seeing it go away. I love seeing it there and the lights on and never shut it off. I don't know what it is, but uh, you might say, nope, no, nope. January or De- uh, December 26th, it's out of here. That's fine. But it's a great year. It's a wonderful part of the year. And we have joy and we celebrate. It's better than, than birthdays. Everybody gets presents. Everybody gets together. You know, I, I say that. And you and I both know that's, that's actually not true. Sometimes... These are really hard times. And after enough Christmases, some of that excitement and, and splendor and joy starts to, to dull a little bit with things in our lives. And even this morning, maybe the height of our Christmas season for some of us were these kids up here, which is great. But that proclamation that the angels gave here to these shepherds, which we'll read in a minute... It's about so much more than that. It's okay to celebrate. It's okay to have joy. And we should. I mean, we went through Ecclesiastes this past year, and I was reminded in chapter 7, we're told that it's good to be joyful. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. It's great to have this moment of celebration within our families, with the presence, all these wonderful things. But understand that the day of adversity comes as well, and God made them both. You know, we're reminded in Scripture that the house of mourning has more wisdom than a house just full of celebration. And the reason is because we live in a broken world. And if we just slap things over top of reality, it's band-aids over cancer, and it only gets worse. The consequences don't go away. You know, it's sad to think that sometimes Christmas can be a band-aid for us. And we can really enjoy it and celebrate it. It has to be this way. Some of the tensions in our home, because it has to be this way. We need it to be this for us in the face of everything else that's just not. It's okay to celebrate and have joy. But when the season is over, 
Does darkness start to enter into your soul? You know, when there's a hole in our family and it is Christmas and we're struggling because death has ripped open a piece of what used to be there every year. And, and, and this is supposed to be a joyful time. I'm sorry if I'm speaking about these things that aren't. But when our health is taken, when our kids are hurt, and more recently I was reminded over and over again, you know, we're reminded of our own personal failures. You know, when we're all together some of these things that are broken even in our own life as parents, as sons, as daughters, as a person, can really be a grief to our soul. What, where's the joy in that? Where's the celebration in our heart when we face our failures, when we realize we've been failed, and even, sadly, this is where Christmas sometimes comes to remind us the failure of those that should be caring about us, that should be there but aren't. It's easy for us to lose sight of the real foundations for this time. See, the truth is, is that what we celebrate, the, the foundations for our joy, even in the face of all of that, is so much greater than anything that family and, and celebrations and gifts will ever be. If we can cut through to that and see those foundations, which I hope we do this morning in some part, then the joy in the rest is so much more full. And even in the face of what isn't right, we can rejoice as Mary even did of this God, our Savior, who has blessed us. And even as she said and was read this morning that forevermore everyone will know and call her blessed. Listen, that is true of us. That is true of even us as we come to know God through Christ personally. As we just humble our hearts here for a minute, I'd ask you to, to bow with me in prayer and we'll jump into Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you're real with us. We thank you that you tell us the truth, that you confront us with reality that we may know not just it but also blessing through you. I pray in this moment that we would, yes, be able to hold on to how you've blessed us beyond all nations and peoples and times in these physical ways as a country and as a people, but in this broken world yet so in need of your greater blessings that your truth lays bare for us. This season is a reminder for us. And we pray this morning that you would continue this work of opening our eyes to your wonder, of your glory, of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy towards us in this season, the greatness of your Son and his gift to come. And we just thank you and pray this work would be done in our hearts this morning in his name. Amen. You know, when I was young, we used to have this celebration for Christmas that included a banner. It was a birthday for Jesus. I don't know if you guys did that or not, but I remember looking up, remember those dot matrix paper, you know, it's like you got to be careful, it doesn't tear and you know, it would hang there and, you know, eventually it would tear. Uh, but it'd say, happy birthday, Jesus. And we'd have a birthday cake. It'd say, happy birthday, Jesus. You know, as growing up, I kind of tried to get it. Like, okay, we sell, but he's not here. You know, he's not opening presents. It's kind of odd. And you, and you kind of think as, as you grow up, it's about the presents. It's about all these things. I wish, I was thinking of this as the kids were singing, I wish I knew then the depth of what I understand now of this season. 
It's so much bigger and, and better than all of that. We're talking about God himself. We're talking about him taking on flesh in Christ. And as we look at Luke and we think of these words, and I'd ask you to read along with me if you would, as these words are shared for us, it's in the context of the whole of this gospel revealing to us this wonderful Savior. It's so much bigger than just a birthday party. So much bigger than just a time of presence. You have angels from heaven itself. We see in verse 8, these shepherds that were in the field, Luke chapter 2, and we see that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, we'll get back to that, shone around them. Let me tell you, when we come face to face with the glory of the Lord, our response will be the same as these shepherds. They were filled with great fear. You know, when you see Scripture over and over again and an angel appears, this is the response even to them. That's just an angel. It's a wonderful thing we should consider what he says, verse 10. Fear not. <laughs> how quickly we fear, how quickly we fret. For good reason, we're so weak and limited. He says, behold, I bring to you good news. So that's the opposite of fear. Rejoice, I bring you good news today. It will be for all people. Now, sometimes we jump over the fact that these were shepherds. Shepherds were not the cream of the crop, the greatest of the great. In fact, they were, were dirty, common folk. And while there are many shepherds in Israel, certainly in the culture of the day, they were low and sadly often not to be trusted. This is to whom the angel comes for all people. Unto you, that's, that's you specifically, these shepherds, that's you, Israel, as a, as a nation, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, you know, we're so familiar with this passage. Sometimes we jump over these things, these words that are so deep, we can't even plumb the depths this morning. But we'll be focusing on what this Savior truly is. Goes on certainly in verse 12 and gives them a sign. I'll give you a sign for you. You will go and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And of course, immediately there with the angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And of course, we know the saying, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those in whom he is pleased. And while we won't get into the nuances of this proclamation that should be the call of our own hearts today as we're reminded of this great gift of this great birth. As the angel said that today is born to you a Savior. You know, we take this for granted, but these shepherds, they would have been familiar with this. And as we look at these aspects of, of Savior and of Messiah and of Lord, I hope that we're encouraged to have the same joy, certainly that the angels who must have marveled. Can you imagine standing before the presence of God day after day, millennia after millennia, and to consider the fact that a part of his provision, a part of his perfect plan, that he himself would take on the weakness of human flesh? We're told in Scripture that the prophets looked at these prophecies, and they themselves didn't understand, and angels desired or looked at these same things, I'm sure with some wonder, how is this? It's amazing. But the question this morning, as the, as the angel said, today a, a Savior has been born to you. What is, 
What does that mean? Now, to us, we quickly, because we're so used to this, compartmentalize this. Well, it's Jesus, you know, and he's the Messiah, and he was born in, in Bethlehem. But you have to understand, in the first century, this Savior was very broad. Everyone is a Savior. There were many Saviors in the ancient world in the first century. I mean, you have the gods, certainly. The Greek gods, Poseidon and Zeus, specifically, were called Saviors. Did they save anybody? That's the problem with idolatry is our idols always let us down. But they are supposedly the rescuers, protectors. You know, physicians of the day were called saviors. They guarded the health of those that came, though often, you see even in Scripture, they couldn't treat many things. This woman who had issuance of blood for seven years, for 12 years, all these years, doctor after doctor after doctor, nothing changed. Philosophers were called saviors. You know, what's interesting is that if you were to look at this word and just have heard in the first century, he's a savior, a little sarcastic moment would be, yeah, like the rest of them, right? You know, today it's not too much different. In the first century, these philosophers were counted saviors because they were concerned, this is a quote, concerned for the healing of the hurts of the soul. Reminds me much of our therapists and psychiatrists and so many others today. The treatments continue. The solutions are few. But also politicians. You know, there wasn't few of the emperors, you know, Pompey, Julius Caesar himself, Augustus, and on and on, even to Hadrian later. There was one savior after another savior after another savior. And not just of the empire and not just of, of this political movement and even of a city. The implications of the citizen. Listen, our politics today, same thing. Every election is driven by this. It's, it's important that you elect me to save you from your problems. And they never change. You know, nothing's really different today. And I just wonder what these shepherds must have thought. Aren't you glad that, that the angel continued with the other words there, not just a savior? The question is, we all have saviors. Unless we're really in despair and we've lost hope in it all. And then maybe avoidance is the only way we can be saved by the pains and the realities and the problems in front of us. The question is, who's our Savior? Where are we placing our trust? Who are we looking to to fix what is wrong? What a hope are we holding on to? Even if it's ourselves, as if we are going to fix it. Listen, we get to some of these failures that we struggle with in our own hearts and lives that crush our soul, and maybe Christmas is a reminder of some of that. How often do we not tell ourselves, I'm just going to do better? Well, after a few years, after a few decades start to realize I can't even save myself. I can't fix this. And Christmas isn't enough to patch it over long enough to be good enough. Are we willing to really rejoice in the fact that he's our redeemer? He's the only one who can do this. 
He's the only one going to fix what is broken. And we're not talking about just in the moment and not just to get us to tomorrow. But if you read what Scripture says, he's the one, even in Romans 8, who is going to redeem from futility, redeem from the cost of sin, the groaning. All of creation groans and waits for this day in which all that is wrong is made right. Listen, when we run into that which is broken, even this year, this Christmas, these gatherings, and our own responses... We can rejoice. There's a Savior. There's a Redeemer. And there's a time when all of this will be made right. And listen, we, we can humble ourselves and worship and say, wow, God is great. I'm not. This is not. We are not. But praise God, He, he is. And we have a Savior. Think of Zechariah chapter 9. Calling Israel to rejoice Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He has salvation. He is humble. He's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you say, wait a minute, I know this verse. This is the wrong holiday. Isn't that Easter? Isn't that the triumphal entry? That's right. The sad thing is, is that Israel rejected her king. Because ultimately, he didn't give them the salvation they were looking for. And sometimes this is the problem. Because we want him to change what we want. We want things to be different from what we want. We struggle to realize that his salvation is different often than what we want. They rejected him because he didn't overthrow Rome. They rejected him because they did not provide what they desired. And so you want to ask, what is this salvation that he brings? If I'm still sick, if those are still lost, if things are still broken, if he's truly the Savior, again, that pessimist, that sarcastic tone in our voice, even in my soul at times, would say, yeah, saved from what? Joseph was given that answer. We see that in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to look at that, that's fine. But I'll read this, of course, in a dream he found out that Mary was with child and he didn't know what to do. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Again, notice that. Angel of the Lord, we'll get to that. Appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, do not fear. Aren't you glad? God's always telling us. Do not be afraid. Do what is right. Let me tell you, God's in this. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice what he's going to do. She will bear a son. You will name him Jesus. For he will save his people. Not from their politicians. Though ultimately. Not from their health concerns. Though finally. Certainly we know that's coming. But more importantly. He will save them from their sins. And this is what we struggle with so often. Are we really willing to let go of all that we've held on to? All those things that we desire, even if we know they aren't what God would desire for us. They become those barriers we hold on to and will not let go, looking for a different kind of Savior. If we hold on to that, there is no other option. There is no redemption. There is no salvation. The greatest need is what he is 
to save us from the consequences of our sin forever and ever. What good is it if you gain the whole world, all the health, perfect politicians, perfect family, amazing children, everybody's great, but you lose your own soul? Jesus asked that question, what good is it? What profit is it to those that lose their own soul? He came to purchase it. He came to redeem it from the eternal consequences, what we all know we face, whether we wanted to deal with it or, or think about it or not. I love Isaiah 53. If you're not familiar with it, every time I read, it's a joy to my heart. The truth is he was, in verse 5, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. Upon him was the, the judgment, the punishment that has brought us peace as we come to him for that forgiveness. With his wounds we are healed. Not just in a physical way to die again, but instead forever healed in our heart, in our soul, as well as in our flesh one day in the resurrection. The truth is, in verse 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We don't have a lot of shepherds, but as you watch them wander so quickly into danger to self-harm, that picture is perfect. We have turned, all of us, did you notice Isaiah includes himself here, we have all turned every one to his own way, and that's the end of it. That's what kills us, our own way. And the Lord, though, has chosen to lay on Jesus, on him, the iniquity of us all. Listen, we, we can celebrate no matter what because we have been redeemed. You know, Jesus sent the disciples out to minister and they had power to cast out demons and they had power to, to heal and they came back rejoicing. And, and he said, listen, don't rejoice that you can do these things. Instead, rejoice that your name is written in heaven, that you have the kingdom, that you have an eternity with God. Why, why can't we rejoice? How wonderful it is. You know, often it's because it's not what we're focused on. I've been saved. All things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. I don't see it, but I know he has it. And he has me. Listen, we, we need to remember and remind even our little ones as well as one another. Anyone who will listen is so much bigger than the presence. Oh, that's great. It's bigger than the trees. It's bigger than the get-togethers. It's bigger than all of it because it's Christ who is our Savior. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at next. This word Christ, sometimes we take as if it's Jesus' middle name, Jesus' last name, and then you're confused because in some places it's Christ Jesus and then it's Jesus Christ. But this word, especially to these shepherds, these Jewish shepherds, has huge meaning millennia of background when he says that today is born to you a savior not just any savior not like the rest of the saviors not like any of the saviors you have but the one much like mary referenced god my savior in chapter two is christ you know, really, the truth is, uh, this is a transliteration of a translation. Not to get the trans back and forth and get that all tongue-twisted around. 
but this is the Greek word Christos, and we just transliterate it Christ, but it's really the equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. And we get that, but it really means the appointed one, the one that God has chosen. You know, back in the day, the Jewish kings would be anointed, represented from God to rule and to reign in his place, in his stead here on earth, as his direction through the law would, would direct but they were anointed, but just an earthly king, just a human king. But this anointed one, the office of Messiah is bigger than just a king. This office, this role, this position is exactly what the angel is saying. Not just a savior, but let me tell you, the Messiah, the anointed one, bigger than any of the singular human kings, but the one that is told of old. And let me tell you, this is amazing. Sometimes we miss this, even as we struggle in our own hearts and anxieties. You realize the coming of this Savior who happens to be not just a regular Savior, average Savior, human Savior, but the Messiah is proof that even after hundreds of years of silence, after thousands of years of prophecy and anticipation, how many generations of people saying, will it be? Did God truly say? He did. And it's the fulfillment of all of that. Right from the very beginning in the fall, even with the curse in the garden, to the serpent, the seed of the woman, God himself said, listen, I'm going to tell you, there is an offspring who's coming, and he, speaking to the serpent, speaking to the one who brought death into the human race through disobedience of Adam, that reigns through all of us and through this world ever since, God says, listen, there's a seed from the woman it's going to crush your head. The final victory that Christ secured for us is even over death itself. Now, did the serpent, did, did Satan bruise the heel of the Savior? Certainly, he was crucified. But you can't keep the king of glory in the grave, the author of life himself in the grave. He conquered even that. And even there, I mean, through all of Scripture, you could go through Genesis all the way to the end. It's constantly about Christ. You have the promise to Abraham called out from Ur of the Chaldees. And God said to him, through you and your descendants, I will bless all nations. The Savior to come, not just to save Israel, but the whole world. This is the same Jesus Christ we see the angel speaking to, the Messiah, and of Israel specifically, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, when God told him that one will come after you, much like you, who functioned, interestingly, like prophet, Moses, priest, and king in very unique ways. Moses, this prophet, has said, God will raise up to you one just like you, but I will put my words in his mouth. Isn't this interesting what Jesus said over and over again? I speak the words of the Father. These aren't my own words. I don't testify just of myself over and over and over. Deuteronomy 18. God said this is going to happen. Just like you. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them to all that I command him. And whoever does not listen to him, I myself will require it of him. See, there is hundreds of years between their and this proclamation in Israel. And we could continue on and on. You have Isaiah 42. My servant 
I will uphold my chosen one in whom my soul delights. And even Isaiah 9, the sign of this child that will be born. And many other Christmas stories. Listen, this Messiah, there's no other Messiah. He's the only one. He's the anointed one of God. He's chosen from God himself. And while we just gloss over this, we have to remember how, impo- how important this is, how amazing this is, because it means the waiting is over for us. Of course, we're still waiting for him to return. But we know this is Christ. We're not looking ahead to that day, that one day he will come, one day God's word will be fulfilled. But even Peter, speaking of our wait, says many are saying, what's the nature of this delay of his coming? And Peter says, trust me, he's coming. We have this already. We know this already. The waiting is over. The search is over. We don't have to continue wandering and waiting. I'm so glad that we know. But the question is, uh, what do we do with him? Are we still looking for our own Messiah Have we truly understood the authority that God the Father has given to him? We read it at the end of Matthew. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Man, but living that sometimes, you know, we all struggle. When we realize that, we humble ourselves before this Messiah. He has the right to rule. He's been given the position to reign And he deserves everything that I can do to serve him. What a blessing in this season as we point to him and say, let me tell you who was born in Bethlehem. Let me tell you who will reign in Jerusalem. You know, in the midst of all this, and I want to be very careful here, we must be reminded that he is Lord. Sometimes in this season we trivialize our Savior. Yes, he's a savior, and yes, he redeems us. That's the reason why he came, to seek and to save the lost. But never forget, he's not just meek and mild laying in a manger. He wasn't just a servant come to suffer on the donkey, humble and meek. He's also the Lord. Even those that knew him best, John himself at the beginning of Revelation, who loved Christ passionately, who knew him intimately, when he saw him in this vision, As soon as he saw him in his glory, he fell on his face. He is our Savior. He is our friend. But he's also our God, the God of the universe who reigns over all, who created all. And we see this even in this passage. You know, the word Lord, again, sometimes we get too familiar with it. Yes, he's in charge By virtue of possession, he made us all. He owns us all. He owns this world as every right. And yes, he truly is Lord because he is in a position of authority. He's God. There's none greater. There's no other. But we miss some of what was spoken even to Moses when he says, I am what I am. I'm bigger than even those categories. He's the one who's above all by the nature of who he is, because he is. Genesis chapter 1, God doesn't go through to prove that he exists. It clearly, simply says he created it all. He is who he is. And trust me, there's no changing any of that. 
And it's wonderful that he is who he is. It's wonderful that he's a God working all things according to the counsel of his will. The reason why any of us are here, every single one of us are here this morning is because God has brought us to this place to spend together, this time to share. Even in this moment as we look to his word, it's all in his hands for a perfect and great end. Questions on what side of this am I on? Am I so grateful that he is my God, my King, my Savior, my Lord? Do I revel in that? Sad is that many and most in this world that resist that. I reject the idea that he has control over me, that he owns me. Sometimes we struggle with that even as believers. You know, the family I have, I have because he gave me this family. All that I am, I am because he's the one who says this is best, and I don't always like it. There's aspects of who he is as God we do struggle with, but if we look at all of this, the God of glory, God himself, you see this even as the angels spoke. Over and over, we see this in in Scripture as the the glory of the Lord shines in any place. People tremble. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, where we're told, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, and it's a reminder, sometimes we say, That's kind of harsh. That's harsh. It's a, it's a reminder, though, for us, be careful how you deal with this Son of God. Don't treat lightly or tread underfoot the blood of the Holy One of God who gave His life for you. Kiss the Son. Love the Son. Be careful how you respond to the greatness of His love, the greatness of His purpose, the greatness of who He is. And we're reminded of that in the rest of the verse. I hope this is true of every single one of us. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. He's our God. And we love him, and we're so grateful that he is our God. You know, in Luke alone, and we won't walk through this, I'd ask you maybe to think about this as you go through Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 on your own, maybe even this afternoon. And look how often the same word, the Lord, is used over and over and over again. If you didn't know anything about the New Testament, you picked up the book of Luke for the first time and you started reading. And you didn't know everything that was at the end. You didn't know all these things as so many of us do. You would see this, this strange reality of how the God of Israel in verse one, or 16 of chapter 1, speaking about John the Baptist, how he will turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. To the Lord, John the Baptist will turn them to. And then he will then be in this role of like Elijah, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And it's like, that's interesting. Speaking of God. Verse 28, same chapter, Luke chapter 1. Gabriel came to Mary, and he said, Greetings, O favored one of the Lord. He is with you. And in verse 32, it goes on, talking about the Son of the Most High. Jesus will be the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And you start to say, wow, there's an aspect here of this Lord thing. I'm not sure. Like, is he coming? Is he giving? Is he there? Is he here? Verse 26, 
You know, you could track it through. It was probably 25, 26, 27 uses of the Lord over and over and over and over again. And so when we get through to the chapter 2 and we see that the angel of the Lord appeared to them at the same time in verse 11 saying that this baby, a Savior who is the Christ, is also the Lord would have to have a powerful impact. You mean he's with us? You know, that's what Scripture said, Emmanuel, right? We know that. But it connects the dots that God would come in the form of flesh in any way is unimaginable. The glory of the Lord is what the shepherds trembled in the front of. The angels of the Lord, the messengers with his authority and in his glory in part made them tremble. And you sit and think, how can we not tremble even before this baby who is the Lord himself? Kiss the sun. Be very careful how you think about this son of God. In our world today, we trivialize and we marginalize and we soften so much of who he is. Don't ever forget, he is the Lord of glory. And I'm so grateful that he is. Because when he says, I will, he can. And when he says, it will be, it will be. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, you know he, he won't. You know, in the midst of all this, you can continue down through chapter 2. And this is, this is great. Verse 21. This Savior, this Christ, the Christ, who is the Lord, they called him Jesus. He himself, in the flesh, how can he do all that he promised? How can he save us if he is in all these things? I love Isaiah 55, and you can just mark it down. It's, it's a great chapter. But I, I think that in this time, in this season of Christmas and celebration, in so many ways, it's really the call in even us. Us in regards to our celebration, us in regards to our own heart and confidence, but the cry of even the Old Testament, even of Isaiah, is the same. Come, everyone who thirsts, verse 1. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Listen, it isn't what you bring, it isn't what you do, it isn't how you can, or what you haven't, or what you did, or any of it else. You come humbly and Christ, God himself, will save you, will fill you, will comfort you, will direct you, will strengthen you, will bless you in ways that there is nothing else, anything else, no one else that can ever bless peace that passes all understanding. A joy which is not like the world gives, but a joy that Christ himself gives to those that trust in him. That's the heart of the season. Even here, verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, that which does not truly satisfy, that which does not fill? Jesus fed the thousands. They went away hungry the next day. They didn't get it. This whole crowd, actually, the next day were chasing after him. Feed us again. said, you missed the point. I'm the bread of life. 
To the woman at the well, the water that I give to you to drink, you will never thirst again because there will be a well of water springing up. The physical pointing to the eternal as we come and humble ourselves. Why do we settle for so little? You labor for that which does not satisfy. He says, listen diligently, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Turn your hearts to the greater things. In this season, any time that we can turn anyone's heart to the greater things, let me tell you about the Savior who was born that day. And he gives better gifts than any of us can. His fellowship is sweeter than any of us can share. And listen, when we share that with him, the fellowship we share is like nothing else. And that's the heart of it. Incline your ear and come to me, cries the Lord here, Isaiah 55, 3. Hear that your soul may live. If you don't know him today, let me tell you, today is the day to change that. It's simple. You have to let go of all that you're holding on to. Listen, all those things that you help get through life with, and you know, God might say, may be a cost of your discipleship. Humble your hearts and admit the truth, the reality. We can't do this apart from him. I'm a failure apart from him. I can't even be what I want to be. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. I love verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Speaking of today. Right now, in this moment. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. This is through Christ that we have this forgiveness because he took our place. And when we call out to him, when we cry out to him, we say, I'm done. I'm undone and I'm done and I need you to save me. Would you take me? Would you forgive me? We're told that he will and he does. And in that moment, he not only rescues us from the consequence, but he changes us and we start to become what he is. Sadly, over time, and it's not in an instant, we grow and that's where a lot of us are today. This is the same call to us as we drift, as, as we struggle in this process. We come before a holy God and worship again. He's the one who can do this and he's the one who is doing it. And we trust him for it. And we're reminded in verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Isn't that the truth? Who would have thought that God himself would have taken on flesh to be crushed? And then you see in Philippians 2 where he was crushed and the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Only God could have even endured that payment that was required for all of us. But because of his great humiliation, God has highly exalted him above every name above every power, above every authority, above everyone else, and it will be to him that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is Christ, that he is Lord. That's not the path I would have picked. Even Christ in the garden said, if it's your will, take this from me. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are are not our ways. He confounds the wisdom of this world to demonstrate his greater wisdom for the ages. That's what he's doing right now in our lives. Even in the brokenness of where we are, 
even in the brokenness of this world. And we can be reminded and rejoice that as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so too are his ways and his thoughts. And praise God, his outcomes. Because he is the one that is working great things in all of this. So why do we celebrate? I hope and pray it's because we have a Savior. We celebrate the fulfillment of a promise. If he says it, it's going to happen. And I can bet it's going to happen exactly the way he says it. Even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Even if it feels like it's been too long a time. But we celebrate the birth. We're reminded of the giving of the Savior, of the great humility of the Son himself who was willing to be laid in a manger and talking about all these things. No rights, no wealth, no privilege, no comfort, no nothing. Living a hard life, much harder than ours. To be faithful to the will of the Father. We celebrate one who's walked harder paths than us alongside of the path he's called us to. Praise God that he knows us like he does. We celebrate the security of our hope, knowing that redemption is ahead. He's risen. Even as he said, there's an empty grave in Israel that he is not there. He's in heaven and he's coming again. And all of this is a part of this plan, even as the kids sung, even after 2,000 years. He's coming back for us. Isn't it a wonderful season? I hope and pray it's a fresh season for each one of us. I hope and pray God blesses us as we reflect on these truths, on these realities. And I pray in some way, maybe, some would come to know him as Savior because of this season. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, you know us all. And that makes us tremble. What amazes us in your love that not only do you know us all, but you've paid for it all. That you call us, every single one of us, to hear your voice. I pray for any that are here this morning, Lord, that they would listen to that voice and let go of what we all must. Our inabilities, our insufficiencies, all these things we hold on to lesser things than what you offer in your son. Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. We pray that you would bless us as we reflect on these truths, that we might be a blessing even to others that you bring along our way. We pray that you'd be honored by us as we wait, as we serve, as we share in the joys that you've given to us. Lord, we know they're from you. And again, we just thank you. We thank you for it all and pray you'd bless us even this morning in your son's name. Amen. Would you please stand and join us again as we close?